Sarcoma Connect is an initiative of core to ed This podcast is supported by an educational grant from Bayer. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organisation or the rest of the Sarcoma Connect group. For experts' disclosures on conflict of interest, please go to oncologyoncore2ed.com. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast covering clinical practice and patient management highlights from CTOS 2022. The meeting this year was held in Vancouver, Canada, from November 16th to 19th. My name is Robin Jones, and I'm a medical oncologist at the Royal Marsden Institute of Cancer Research in London, specialising in the treatment of sarcomas. Hi, I'm John Trent. I'm joining Robin today as we discuss the important results from the Connective Tissue Oncology Society annual meeting. And I am a sarcoma medical oncologist at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center in Miami, Florida, USA. I'd like to begin by introducing CTOS. So Connective Tissue Oncology Society is an international group comprised of physicians and scientists who have a primary interest in tumors of the mesenchymal and connective tissues. The overall goal of the society is to advance the care of patients with these types of tumors and to increase knowledge of all aspects of the biology of these tumors, including clinical research, translational research, basic science, and even population science, as well as patient-reported outcomes. This year, we had nearly 600 attendees for 10 sessions specific for sarcoma and over 300 posters. The tumor of the year was desmoid fibromatosis, and this is a rare, locally aggressive tumor that does not metastasize. It can be challenging to treat and can cause profound symptoms of pain and also limited movement and limited function. And there were a number of very interesting abstracts on desmoid tumours this year, and I'll hand over to John to describe the results of the DEFI trial. Yeah, that's a a very great point, Robin. So desmoid tumour, it's not a malignant tumour. It is really considered a benign tumour, but it's locally aggressive and can even be life-threatening in select cases. Neurogasostat is an oral gamma secretase inhibitor that was developed to interfere with the pathway that's downstream from the activating driver mutations in beta-catenin or deletion of the gene APC. When these driver mutations occur or there's deletion of APC, there's activation of a downstream pathway, including gamma secretase. So this inhibitor was developed to interrupt that pathway, killed the desmoid tumor cells, and shrink the tumor, improving patient outcomes. And so in this study, it was a phase three study randomizing neurogasostat to a placebo. Patients who received neurogasostat seemed to have substantial benefit of those who received placebo in terms of objective response rates, median time to response, as well as duration of response. Moreover, neurogasostat was very well tolerated with only really grade 1-2 toxicity, including diarrhea, nausea, and fatigue. 
So your gasostat was statistically superior to placebo in all of these aspects of efficacy, as well as alleviating the tumor burden, improving the function and quality of life of patients. Thanks, John. I agree. The results of the DEFI trial are very interesting. There were a number of other good abstracts in the uh, desmoid tumor session. Of course, it's important to us to highlight that um, the majority of patients will be managed by active surveillance and, and pain control, and that only the patients with severe symptoms or progression require systemic therapy. There were other abstracts focusing on metronomic uh, schedules of chemotherapy, a very important abstract from Tata Memorial Hospital in India. And of course, the results of the DEFI trial will uh, lead to a change in our practice likely for uh, desmoid tumours. The optimal duration of therapy is one thing that remains to be decided. And of course, further follow-up of um, ovarian suppression is important, which was observed in the trial. And of course, is important in this patient group because it tends to affect uh, younger women. So do you have any thoughts regarding the side effect profile and also the other abstracts focusing on uh, surveillance and the more sort of cost-effective schedules um, of metronomic chemotherapy? Yeah, I think those are all really great points, Robin. And so I was impressed by the number of desmoid tumor abstracts, the ones that you mentioned, as well as the cryoablation abstract, uh, which is an effective therapy in select patients that is not a systemic therapy. In fact, it's direct treatment of the tumor through interventional measures. And then certainly low cost is important, as well as having a tool like this new tool that was used in the DeFi trial to really understand the patient's symptom burden and the patient's overall toxicity from the medicine versus the toxicity from the agent, Neurogasostat. So in, in our practice at Sylvester, we generally give the patients a period of observation. So at least a serial MRIs performed generally about three months apart before we determine whether there's going to be spontaneous regression or not. There was a lot less spontaneous regression in the DeFi trial than there was in the prior study of serafinib and GIST, which I thought was, was interesting. But we all see spontaneous regression. So, so I do think it's reasonable to give a period of observation as this is not a metastatic tumor. And then if the patient does have a progressive desmoid tumor, we have to really think about all of these treatment options. We have cryoablation, we have serafinib, we have old school standard cytotoxic chemotherapy, which is quite effective. And we have increasing number of new agents that are being developed specifically for patients with desmoid tumor, which is a, is a great problem for us to have as treating physicians. We just have to work together to figure out what treatment is best used and most effective and best tolerated by the patients and their specific scenarios. I wonder how the DeFi trial is going to impact your practice at the Marsden, Robin. Yeah, thanks, John. We do have a compassionate access program open for the drugs. So we have been treating symptomatic patients uh, with this gamma secretase inhibitor I think as was discussed at the meeting, the drug will now go through the approval process in many countries, including Europe and 
the UK. And uh, we'll just have to see what the decision is in the UK regarding funding approval, but certainly a very effective and well-tolerated agent for this challenging disease. One of the other challenging types of sarcoma that we treat is um, advanced dedifferentiated or well-differentiated liposarcoma. And again, there are a number of really promising abstracts, uh, primarily from phase one trials of MDM2 inhibitors in recurrent retroperitoneal liposarcoma. And two abstracts in particular have led to the initiation of randomized trials. So the first of BI907828, which has led to randomized trial versus doxorubicin in the first line. And of course, the other abstract was for milodematin, which has been evaluated in a randomized phase three trial compared to um, trebectin. And again, it's really good to have promising data and hopefully more treatment available for this challenging uh, subtype of sarcoma in particular. And I just wonder, do you have any thoughts on those results specifically presented at CTOS, John? I'm with you completely. Dedifferentiated liposarcoma is a challenging type of sarcoma to treat. They're often retroperitoneal in the um, peritoneal metastases. And so they're very difficult to operate on for our surgeons. And the recurrence rates are very high. And uh, we do treat with chemotherapy, uh, standard cytotoxic chemotherapy like doxorubicin, iphosphamide, gemcitabine, docetaxel, trabectidin, even aribulin. Uh, but, you know, they're just not that effective for most patients. Responses are often transient. And so we do need new therapies. And we've known for many years that dedifferentiated and well-differentiated liposarcoma are driven by amplification of a certain region in the chromosome, including MDM2, among other genes. MDM2 has the unique capability of binding to wild-type P53 and removing it from the cell function, similar to a P53 deletion, which is highly tumorigenic in, in individuals. And P53 is one of the most common genes that's impacted in tumorigenesis across all tumor types. So being able to develop a novel agent to target that pathway has been a goal for many, many years. Years ago, early MDM2 inhibitors were developed that just had too much toxicity and not much efficacy. So we're all really delighted to see new agents developed by these small pharmaceutical companies who are interested in developing active agents in oncology and focusing really on MDM2 inhibitors that are able to bind to that amplified protein, release P53, and allow P53 to actively kill, uh, result in apoptosis of the tumor cells. And so these two studies were presented at CTOS, and both of these studies showed promising results with reasonably good response rates and pretty good efficacy and pretty good, fairly few limited adverse events. Now, we do have to be cognizant that both of these agents can cause prolonged thrombocytopenia, um, but it seems like the schedule is being developed in such a way to minimize the risk of thrombocytopenia and still managing to show durable efficacy. 
And I agree with you. It's very exciting that these agents are already moving into phase three registration studies. So it's quite possible in the next few years that if these studies are positive, we could have new targeted therapies for patients who are affected by dedifferentiated and possibly well-differentiated liposarcoma. Agreed, John. And there were many other interesting abstracts from early stage clinical trials, I suppose, following on with this theme of drug development and the process from phase one leading to a registration randomized trial. Dr. Van Tyne presented the phase one data for the PTC596 or Unisbulin, a tubulin inhibitor in sarcoma that is also led to the initiation of a of a randomized trial. And what are your thoughts on this particular drug and the uh, abstract presented at CTOS? Well, I think that this new agent, the PTC agent, is quite compelling in its uh, activity. And we do need new agents for leiomyosarcoma. Leiomyosarcoma is a smooth muscle phenotype sarcoma. And this type of sarcoma is one of the more common ones. Uh, and with these smooth muscle features, it can arise from blood vessels, from in muscle, retroperitoneum, subcutaneously. And as I was saying, it's very common. And sure, we have old school chemotherapy, trabectidin, pazopinib, but we don't really have a good targeted therapy for leiomyosarcoma because there are many, many different types of mutations, not a solitary driver mutation. But one thing that's emerged over the years is that leiomyosarcoma may have some sensitivity to microtubules, given the responses that we see with aribulin, the responses that we see with the addition of docetaxel to gemcitabine. So it's, I think it's very exciting to see interest in developing a new microtubule inhibitor for leiomyosarcoma. And in this phase one study, um, patients were treated with uh, this new agent, and they may have received decarbazine in combination with unesbolin. And clearly, you know, in the study, they showed some efficacy uh, for leiomyosarcoma patients. So, so I, I think it's a very exciting time to see a new agent move into the space of unesbolin. We've had recent approvals with trabectidin and pazopinib fairly recently, but really not the kind of efficacy that we need to be delivering to our patients. So I'm very excited to be participating in this phase three study that arose from a phase one study presented at CTOS from our sarcoma community. Great. And um, interestingly as well, Dr. McCabe presented updated results of the RECUR trial. And in many ways, this is a completely different trial evaluating drugs that have been used for a relatively long time in the treatment of recurrent advanced Ewing sarcoma. And again, very informative and a very important trial in terms of clinical practice, reinforcing the important role of ifosmide in this disease. And again, what are your thoughts regarding the results and how how will this impact your practice um, in Miami, John? I think it's an amazing trial to be able to do a study that large in such a rare, rare subset of a rare tumor in Ewing sarcoma is really commendable. 
and uh, I, I was impressed by the data and uh, also impressed by the study design, really methodically evaluating salvage therapies for patients with Ewing sarcoma. And this is pertinent to all of us. Sure, Ewing sarcoma is one of the more common pediatric sarcomas. But if you do the numbers, there's actually more adults with Ewing sarcoma than there are children. So understanding salvage therapy is critical in our practice. And so these salvage therapies, we use most of them. But a lot of times patients don't make it through all of the salvage therapies. And so it's very important to understand which ones are the most active so that you can have a higher probability of getting a response in patients that have limited treatment options. The use of high-dose phosphamide is, is a very common salvage therapy in our practice, particularly in individuals who are under 50 years of age. Older than that, I think it's a little challenging in terms of toxicity, but uh, I, I feel um, personally validated that it meshes very well with the practice that we have here at Sylvester. And so I was very excited to see the data presented at CTOS this year. Indeed. And there were many more interesting abstracts. I'm conscious um, of the time, but Dr. Lung presented updated efficacy and safety data on entrectinib in patients with entract fusion positive sarcomas, again, reinforcing the the tremendous activity of this class of drug in entract fusion positive sarcomas. And also a very interesting abstract by Dr. Kleinerman and colleagues of a novel CD103, CDC1 dendritic cell vaccine for um, osteosarcoma. So there were many, many fascinating and interesting abstracts at the meeting this year. And unfortunately, we don't have time to present them all, but a very, very good meeting in my opinion. Yeah, I had, a, I had a great meeting. Perhaps we could maybe just end mentioning briefly some of the abstracts on gastrointestinal stromal tumors, since it's one of the, the more common tumors that we see in patients with GIST. And um, I thought there was uh, several good presentations. One of the presentations by Steve Bialik and colleagues from our institution looked at circulating tumor DNA in patients with just who were progressive on prior therapies. And, and really, we're starting to tease out which patients benefit from which agents. And so it's been known from preclinical data that sunitinib is highly effective against exon 13 mutated just, and also uh, anecdotes that it's not very effective against exon 17 mutated resistant just. And uh, conversely, regorafenib is active at exon 17, but not so active at exon 13. And so it was, it was really nice to see clinical validation of preclinical models, suggesting that perhaps patients with exon 13 mutated GIST should be receiving sunitinib, no matter what line of therapy, if that's the driver mutation, as compared to regorafenib. Did you see any, any other interesting just abstracts, Robin? Yeah, I, I think um, all the abstracts in the just session were great. And I, I particularly like the abstract uh, focusing on the analysis of micro following through to larger tumors. Again, giving a fascinating insight into the development of this disease. You know, one of the things I'd really like to say is that there were a number of other 
a great sessions. I thought that the retroperitoneal sarcoma session was excellent, particularly the discussion on operability. There was an abstract from the UK showing the challenges of actually deeming a retroperitoneal tumour as inoperable, which of course has important implications in terms of the management of the patient all the way through to eligibility in terms of clinical trials if a, if a tumour is deemed inoperable. And as I say, I, I thought that the programme committee had done a great job in organising and uh, selecting all of these abstracts. And I suppose with that, uh, one of my, well, my last question to you, John, is um, what are your sort of key takeaway messages or key highlights from the meeting this year? I agree with you. I'd like to commend the programme committee for really selecting important biological studies, clinical studies, translational research that's helping us not only understand the disease, but really focus on developing new therapies. And so I think the key takeaway is that there's a lot of promise for new agents for patients with advanced dedifferentiated liposarcoma, which we really need. There's promise for patients with leiomyosarcoma which we really need new agents there as well. We found active salvage therapy in Ewing sarcoma. And also, uh, it would be remiss not to mention the Enliven study, uh, where confirmation long-term presentation data from the study confirms that patients with TGCT um, do get relief of symptoms by taking an oral TKI. I'd also like to say that I'm really looking forward to next year's meeting and all of the new advances that are going to be taking place over this year. And certainly on this, this podcast, I've enjoyed working with you, Robin, and hopefully we can report out on next year's CTOS as well. Fantastic. Thank you, John, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'd just like to say, likewise, always a pleasure to work with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Core2Ed Independent Medical Education. Please visit core2ed.com for more information.